Introducing MyHoover. Through this new feature, you can now more easily follow the work of your favorite fellows and policy topics. Customize your newsfeed, manage newsletter subscriptions, and receive notifications when your favorite publications, broadcasts, and podcasts go live. Bookmark articles, essays, and multimedia for later viewing. Take the step to create a MyHoover account now and transform the way in which you acquire this valuable knowledge. America and other free and open societies face crucial challenges and opportunities abroad that affect security and prosperity at home. This is a series of conversations with guests who bring deep understanding of today's battlegrounds and creative ideas about how to compete, overcome challenges, capitalize on opportunities, and secure a better future. I am H.R. McMaster. This is Battlegrounds. On today's episode of Battlegrounds, our focus is on the country of Sweden, a longtime U.S. partner and pending NATO member. Our guest is Paul Janssen, Minister for Defense since 2022. Janssen joined Sweden's Ministry of Defense as a political advisor in 2006. He held multiple elected positions in local government and was selected to Sweden's parliament, the Riksdag, in 2016. Minister Janssen is a veteran of the Swedish military. He holds a PhD in war studies from King's College London. Indigenous peoples have inhabited Sweden for millennia. From 800 to 1050 AD, the Vikings used Sweden as a base for expeditions, plunder and trade that stretched from Greenland to Constantinople. The Swedish Empire reached its apogee under King Gustavus Adolphus, who reigned from 1611 to 1632 and introduced combined arms warfare. Adolphus played a decisive role in the Thirty Years' War until his death at the Battle of Lützen. Sweden was a great power in Northern Europe and sent settlers to what became the U.S. state of Delaware. However, Sweden lost most of its territory to Denmark, Poland, and Russia in the Great Northern War from 1700 to 1721. Modern-day Sweden controlled Finland until Russia's victory in the 1808-1809 Russian-Swedish War. In 1814, Sweden forcefully joined with Norway. That peacefully resolved in 1905. Sweden was neutral in World War II. After the war, Sweden's Social Democrats led a series of reforms to create the Swedish welfare state. In 1974, Sweden adopted a new instrument of government, which instituted freely elected parliamentary rule, with the Swedish monarch as a nominal head of state. Sweden and the United States have a strong history of partnership. Swedish immigrants arrived in 1638, and Sweden recognized U.S. independence in 1783. The United States and Sweden share values and collaborate on global democracy promotion, human rights, and international development. Sweden is one of the world's largest humanitarian aid donors, giving approximately 1% of its gross national product annually. In 2014, Sweden became an Enhanced Opportunities Partner of NATO. NATO member countries signed Sweden's accession protocol to formally join the alliance in July 2022. We welcome Minister Janssen to discuss European security concerns, NATO, Russia's war in Ukraine, and Sweden's defense technology and innovation.
Paul Johnson, Minister Johnson, welcome. Great Thank to have you here at Battlegrounds. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. It's, it's great, to, yeah. great to be in Stanford. Well, thank you for visiting us across a great distance here yeah. in California. And there's a lot to talk about in a short period of time, so I'm just going to jump jump right in. And you know, you recently had a conference with defense ministers uh, sure. from the Nordic and Baltic yeah. states, and there have been some security concerns recently about you know cables and pipelines. Sure. And can you maybe share with our viewers? Sure. That, what about that conference, what you talked about and decided, but also just your perspective generally on on Nordic and Baltic and, and maybe even just European security as well? I think we're really in an inflection point when it comes to Nordic-Baltic cooperation. For the first time ever, we're going to have the same kind of security arrangement when Finland is already inside NATO and Sweden is on the verge of joining the alliance. And that's going to be greatly in, uh, consolidating the whole northern flank of, of NATO. And it's going to make us much better equipped to, to uh, collaborate in the field of security and defense. So great avenues for deepening Nordic-Baltic cooperation. I mean, we are the same operation in our area. And I think that's very important that we strengthen and consolidate the northern flank. Now, what we are exposed to is, of course, kinetic threats as well. And we're very concerned with Russia, but also hybrid threats. And I think that we have some examples of that is Russia's militarization or migration. And that's, of course, Finland right now is in the, in the center of that. But uh, we've seen this before in 2015 as well. And we're also very concerned with what's happening on the seabeds when it comes to protecting critical infrastructure as well. And we've taken measures to strengthen our resilience against hybrid threat, but also using NATO and the Joint Expeditionary Force to increase our maritime presence in the Baltic Sea. Well, you, know, you alluded to this transition from uh, defense partner to to NATO ally for Sweden and Finland. And I do think it just strengthens the alliance tremendously, not just because of the hard defense capabilities, but also mm. the expertise in dealing with hybrid warfare, for example. Yeah. I mean, Finland mm. has that center yeah. for, for excellence in hybrid warfare. Can you talk about the transition mm. uh, from strategic partnership uh, to, to, to joining NATO and the desire sure. to join NATO and, and approving that, how that happened? And what your assessment is of, of where the process is? Absolutely. Well, of course, the breakout of the war on the 24th of February was a defining moment for us. But I think this started earlier. I always refer to this infamous uh, letters by Foreign Minister Lavrov when he, in December 2021, was stating there will be no further NATO enlargement and NATO should withdraw all its assets and capabilities to 1997 borders. Uh, that's blatantly stating that Finland and Sweden would be part of Russia's sphere of influence, totally unacceptable, and we wouldn't be free to choose if we would join the alliance. I think I think that made a big impression on us was following Ukraine. And for us, it became crystal clear. NATO supports its partners, but it defends its allies. And if you want to have access to Article 5, if you want to have access to NATO's common defense planning, you better join the alliance. I think we draw some hard lessons there as well. So that right now, we are on the verge of joining the alliance, as you might know. We are hopeful that the last two allies also will ratify our application swiftly. And we think it's good for Sweden and for our security, but we also think it's good for NATO, because as you said, we have assets and capabilities to make the alliance stronger. We can provide the alliance with strategic depth. We can be a staging and basing area for the alliance to make it easier to defend Finland and the Baltic states. Uh, so I think uh, also the important work that's going on right now inside NATO, strengthening the regional plans, mm -hmm. and we can um, plug in and play into those regional plans. Great. Yeah, well, can you share with our viewers maybe your assessment of the process? Of course, Turkey has been holding back and gave it to their parliament, and so that's delayed the process. And we have Hungary saying they're not going to vote until after Turkey votes. 
Is there anything more that the United States and other nations can do to help speed the process along? Well, I think we've been greatly helped and we feel very welcomed into alliance. Uh, and uh, you might know at the Madrid summit, we established an MOU between Sweden, Finland and Turkey. And we, now we have gone through all those 14 provisions and we adopted new legislation fighting international terrorism. We have an exchange of information between Sweden and Turkey and we want to join the alliance as quick as possible. So. So, uh, and of course, we feel, as I said, very welcome. Then 29 out of 31 allies ratified Sweden in a record pace, actually within four months. That's never happened before. And we're just hoping now the last two allies will do this quickly and swiftly as well. Minister, you mentioned what a pivotal moment was uh, uh, the, the invasion of Ukraine sure. in 2014, mm -hmm. the massive reinvasion of, yeah. of, of Ukraine in, yeah. in 2022. You've, you've, been, uh, you've been to the front there, you've been to the war seven times. Could you share with us what, what you and what Sweden are learning from the war what, and what your assessment is of, of the war at the moment? Just one thing, uh, supporting Ukraine is the right thing to do and it's a smart thing to do and it's really an investment into our own security as well. I mean, supporting Ukraine is about uh, decency and humanity. It's who we are, but it's also about you know, standing up for a rules-based international order. And us being a smaller country, that rules-based international order is very important for us. We don't want a Europe which where might is right and so forth. But uh, And I also find that the Ukrainians, they're really the shield against Russian military expansion. So they're, they're protecting Europe right now. Now, I mean, one of the major conclusions, it might sound trivial, but I, I, is the Ukrainian will to fight. You know, you can provide them with all the technology in the world, but if you don't have the will to fight, uh, that, then you, you're going to be flat-footed. But the Ukrainian armed forces will to fight in combination with the resilience of the Ukrainian population. I think that's really important. And how do you get that? Well, you get that by political leadership and you also get it by communication. So that's something we're learning from. Besides from that, I always say that the war is a combination between the First World War and the Third World War. Of course, this is about uh, trenches and it's about, uh, like General Cavoli says, it's about scale, scale, scale. Right. We haven't seen this, this kind of- This is the Supreme Allied yeah. Commander Europe. Uh, absolutely. Chris Cavoli, <laughs> my, my dear friend uh, and an amazing yeah. officer. He's he doing a, great, a wonderful really job is, as yeah. a secure. We're all very fortunate <laughs> to have him. And yeah. he always reminds us, we haven't been exposed to that in Europe, you know, these volumes, you know, that uh, Russian having, uh, having uh, maybe 300,000 casualties, but then generating another 250,000, you know, shelling maybe uh, 40,000 uh, shells a day, Ukrainian shelling 10,000. So this is about scale and volume. And that means also this is a war of warehouses and a war of attrition. So I think one of the conclusions as well is that the, this is, you need a strong defense industrial base. And a strong defense industrial base is part of credible deterrence. So therefore, just as in the US, we in Sweden and Europe are working very much now on ramping up uh, production. Uh, and then, of course, uh, some of the other things, observations we've done is, of course, the, that uh, what gives the Ukrainian side the edge is, of course, their ability to innovate. And I think, of course, space-based assets play a crucial role. Autonomous systems, drones, uh, long-range strike capabilities, air defense. And I think uh, those are also some of the lessons that we're going to be drawing because we're going to put a new bill to the Swedish parliament already next year. That's one year in advance. But we need to reshape our force posture so we can learn from the war in Ukraine and also change our force posture so we can be a better ally to NATO. Minister, you mentioned uh, you know, the, some of the big lessons, I think, of the war. Capability and will is what's really critical on on, on, on both sides. Could you maybe share your assessment of, of Russia? You know, what's, what do you think of Russia's capability? Well, they've taken 
massive casualties. You, it's hard to imagine that they would be as motivated as, as Ukrainians to defend their land when they're, you know, when they have to realize they're inflicting so much harm on innocents there. And we saw some initial protests in, in Russia from mothers who, whose uh, whose whose uh, sons are on the front lines. What do you what do you think is happening inside of Russia in terms of Russian will? Well, what should happen is uh, some kind of reflection and an acceptance of the fact that this has been a political and military disaster for Russia, blatantly. I mean, uh, Russia has uh, ended up with Sweden and Finland joining NATO. I, I always call that the mother of all unintended consequences for Russian strategic thinking, ending up with a 1,300 kilometer longer border with NATO. Uh, of course, it's been uh, ramping up uh, defense investment in Europe like never before. I think two-thirds of the allies is going to reach the 2% target uh, for the Washington summit in July. That would never have happened. Uh, Russia, of course, has been exposed to 11 sanction packages. And uh, we are determined that uh, Ukraine now belongs inside the EU and NATO. So, you know, this uh, and on the battlefield, of course, the... Uh, Ukrainian side have taken more than 50% of, of, of what uh, what uh, Russia before used to control inside Ukraine, and they control less than 70%. And I think still it's the Ukrainians who have the initiative in this war. So I think uh, that uh, in that regard, this has been a political and military disaster. Now, what I am concerned with Russia is that Russia has a great appetite for taking political and military risks. And it also has a low threshold for the use of military force. Uh, it has shown a degree of resilience in this war, I must say. I mean, they've taken over 300,000 casualties and they keep on going. So I think those are some of the reflections we've been doing in, in regard to Russia. And also stated the aim that uh, it will reconstitute itself, going from 1 million soldiers up to 1.5 million soldiers by 2026, establishing a new army corps in Karelia. So our Russia problem isn't going anywhere. So what we need to do now is uh, speed up defense investment domestically. And we're, Sweden is, we have doubled our defense budget in five years and we're above 2% by next year. But we also need to strengthen NATO. And I think that uh, Sakur is doing a great job there with the strengthening the regional plans and also implementing NATO's new force model, putting uh, 300,000 soldiers and naval assets and, uh, and uh, aerial assets as well. So we're strengthening the deterrence and defense agenda. Sorry for being so long. <laughs> no, that was succinct and, yeah. and a great summary. And well, now I'd like to ask you about our will. I know there's some current concerns about, about American will. We have a razor thin majority in the, in the House of Representatives and and so there are some members there who are skeptical about continued aid to Ukraine who are holding things up on our end. I'd like to just mention to our viewers, Sweden has really set an example with uh, just in October, a whole new uh, tranche of, of support for Ukraine. You mentioned you're going to have another bill pending. Could you maybe share with, uh, with our viewers you know, your rationale for why it is so important to support Ukraine? But then also your assessment of European will yeah. uh, and maybe some concerns yeah. you have about U.S. Absolutely. Wars. Absolutely. Now, listen, we got to get this right. This is a defining challenge for our generation to make sure that the, it's the Ukrainians, not the Russians, who wins this war. Because if the Russians would win this war, we would have a lot bigger problem than we're having right now. Of course, uh, Russia would be encouraged to create this European security architecture where might is right. And it will, of course, advance its military assets much closer to central. Europe. So this is really about investing into our own security that, uh, to make sure that we're steady on the support to Ukraine. And that's also one of the reasons why I'm here in Washington as well, uh, or at least in the United States. I'm going to DC afterwards so to meet congressmen and senators. Uh, 
and uh, express deep appreciation for the US leadership, which you have shown wonderfully since the war broke out. I mean, the things we've been doing together in the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, I think it's been amazing. We've been able to send defense equipment for $80 billion, you know, that's quite a lot. We've been uh, arming 12 army brigades and equipping them. And uh, I think that uh, the Western support in combination with the will to fight on the Ukrainian side and the resilience of the of the Ukrainian population is what's taken us so far. And we got to continue that. And we very much appreciate the, the strong US leadership, both inside NATO and supporting Ukraine. And it comes down to investing into our own security. And if we don't get Ukraine rights, I think we will have more problems in the Indo-Pacific as well. Gosh, Minister, I think yeah. that's such an important point because these, uh, so many of these conflicts are connected, right? Yeah. You have the Iranians who are behind the horrible attacks of October 7th, who are selling the Shahed drones and maybe missiles now to, uh, to Russia. Uh, and then, of course, uh, China will, I think, at the very least, act to accelerate the achievement of objectives they want if they think we're preoccupied or wavering, you know, and uh, on our support for Ukraine. You know, you, you mentioned you're, you're on your way to Washington. You're going to meet with uh, uh, Secretary of Defense Austin and sign a defense cooperation agreement. Would you mind sharing kind of the outline of that and what you hope to achieve? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, we're very enthusiastic about this, and this will be a new stage in our bilateral cooperation with the United States. Uh, Sweden now is stepping up uh, its defense investment, being above 2%. We're launching a defense innovation initiative, and we're getting a DCA in place. And we think that's going to be good for Sweden and the United States, because, well, of course, this is a technical agreement regulating uh, the U.S. presence uh, and uh, pre-basing and uh, so forth on Swedish territory. Uh, but it's also going to be helping strengthening uh, NATO's posture in the northern region of the alliance as well. So this is going to be another avenue for deepening our bilateral cooperations, which we strongly welcome as well. And you're here in Silicon Valley for a reason. You're, mm -hmm. you're here because, uh, as you mentioned, one of the big lessons of the Ukraine war is the importance of, of technology, integration of new technologies, and, and really a national security innovation base, which Sweden has a very strong defense industry. Uh, what, what are you hoping to achieve in terms of interactions with this sort of technological innovation ecosystem here in Silicon Valley. Sure. And uh, I mean, this is a reflection of, in, of our bilateral cooperation as well, which already have been very strong. We would neighbor, never be able to build fighter jets without the strong flow of technology across the, uh, the Atlantic. And now when we're Sweden and the United States are going from partners to allies, I think that's going to make our cooperation even stronger. So if you look at Sweden in terms of innovation and all these uh, rankings, well, Sweden ranks number two, number three in the world actually on innovation. We have a vibrant tech sector and we have companies like Volvo, Ericsson. Uh, we have a home country of, of Klarna, Spotify, and we have fine tech uh, sector, which is uh, quite vibrant for being a smaller country. We have a lot of public expenditures into R&D, which I am as a defense minister is very grateful for. I think we have the most PhDs per capita in the in the engineering sector, for example. And those are great assets because both you and I know that uh, a lot of the future defense technology is actually being uh, developed here uh, in Silicon Valley uh, through the big platforms economy. So what we can do is, of course, working on spinning in the civilian civilian technology into the defense industrial base. And Sweden, being a country of 10 million, there's no other country who can produce fighter aircrafts and submarines and surface combatants and, and artillery systems. And, so we think that's uh, that's a great asset for us, that we can also strengthen NATO and our bilateral cooperation. So we're also 
soon as we're joining NATO, we're going to be part of something called DIANA, Defense Innovation Accelerator inside NATO. Uh, and uh, we're also, I'm going out to Defense Innovation Unit later on today, also learn about the important work that the United States have been doing uh, on this thinking as well. Great. Well, and just one final question now. You're very sensitive, as, as you already mentioned, to the, you know, the non-military components of national security competition, uh, economic and technological and so forth. And part of it is supply chain security. You've mentioned Ericsson, right? What are the, what are the two remaining non-Chinese fifth-generation uh, communications companies? Uh, and we're in that situation in large measure due to kind of a form of economic aggression used by the Chinese Communist Party and their their statist mercantilist economic model. Uh, what else are you learning in terms of supply chain resilience and the need for, you know, we're at the Hoover Institution where Milton Friedman was, so we, we can't say the words <laughs> industrial policy or the building will shake. Yeah. But, but what are your ideas about economic statecraft and uh, what we have to do to, to be more resilient? Um, very important question, Nature. Let, let me just say the time when we had security policy in one lane and we had economic uh, policy in one lane, I think that's past. I think that we have learned some hard lessons from the both the war in Ukraine, when I was talking about security supply for our defense industrial base, and that being part of of a deterrence to have a strong industrial base, but also due to the pandemic. We learned that we for decades have been using just in time, but what we need to think about is also just in case and how we handle those distortions into our supply lines. And we are of course taking a lot of measures now inside Sweden also to strengthen our resilience, but also be much more cognizant and aware of some of the unintended consequences of having foreign direct investment from hostile countries into our critical infrastructure. So we have, uh, of course, been working very uh, hard on that when it comes to the 5G, but also more on a broad, broader general level. And I mean, this is also part of the hybrid threats that we were talking as well. And uh, therefore, we also establish new institutions now, where, like you, we have a national security come. A council who works on whole of government for the first time and we have a minister for resilience and hybrid threats and uh, and total defense concept and so forth so there's many things we need to do in order to make sure that that uh, we think about not just in time but also in uh, just in case as well enhancing our resilience in this era of great power competition great well i think we covered a lot of ground in a short period of time but what i, what I would like to do is uh, is ask you if any final words for, for our viewers i just do want to tell you that it was such a privilege to meet you and the team and the prime minister and your and your national security advisor uh and and i was just so impressed by how how much energy that you have you're all young right you're all you're all you're all i think recognizing the nature of these new competitions and uh and sweden of course has has uh, has a tremendous military tradition as a as a military history professor, uh, of course, I taught about the, the revolution in combined arms mm -hmm. led by Gustavus sure. Adolphus, right? Excellent. But I'd like just to, to offer you some final words for our viewers, not only in the United States, but we have a, we have a really a strong growing international audience as well. Absolutely. Well, two things. Thank you. HR for all the work you're doing uh, in advancing the thinking on, on the Russian military threat, but also being a friend of the Nordics. I very much appreciated hosting you in Sweden and meeting you in Helsinki and so forth. This is very important for us. And it's the reflection of, of the other point I would like to make. And we come into the alliance with, a, I hope, with a level of youthful energy. Uh, uh, this is something that I worked uh, for for many decades, Sweden joining NATO. And the reason why is really because 
when we put our minds to it across the Atlantic, and I think that the great thing with NATO is that it's the only organization 24-7 every day working where you get a lot of smart Europeans and North Americans around the table to grapple with the, the global security uh, challenges of the day. And I think that's what, uh, what strengthens NATO. And that's also why we want to sit at the table to be able to take responsibility and have an impact on an organization that is very important for our security, but also for the security of the whole North Atlantic region. Great. Thank Mr. You. Paul Johnson, thank you so thank much you so for much. joining hey, us on Battlegrounds good, 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 and helping thank us you. learn so much about Battlegrounds critical to building a better future for uh, for our nations and the world. So thank, thank you. you. It was an honor to be uh, on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Battlegrounds is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we generate and promote ideas advancing freedom. For more information about our work, to hear more of our podcasts or view our video content, please visit hoover.org.